Well, one of the things I like about country music is that uh, it reminds us that you can have a broken heart and bad luck and faithless friends and make stupid mistakes and have your pickup stolen and your dog run away and go through tough times and lose love and it reminds us all in one song, right? Covers it all. And uh, we are reminded today that that's part of the truth of God's word. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That our world is broken and fallen and messed up and it affects us all. And that is a profound spiritual truth because when we see that, it opens us up to the healing, forgiving grace of God. You know, it's the bad news into which God speaks the good news. And today, I want to use that, that opportunity to just remind us that when life is stressed and we feel like we need help, God is our greatest source of help. Uh, Someone has said that in recent days and weeks, we are about as stressed out as we have ever been. There are actually people who study these things, right? They say that uh, right now, the stress levels of most Americans are the highest they've been since uh, World War II. And the things that they say stress us out are work, money, health, strained relationships, a poor diet, media overload, lack of sleep, and worry about spring never coming. All right? That last one I made up, but the rest are true. And as Brooklyn's song, uh, Carrie Underwood's Something in the Water, reminds us, you can start with a hallway full of slamming doors and no way out and no hope for the future, and you can find a faith that changes you and all of that. There isn't just something in the water, but there is something in a new relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship with Christ that transforms life from constant stress and fear and struggle to a life of hope and faith. Amen. And so Philippians, if you want to turn in your Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew. We're going to put most of the scripture verses up on the screen today. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, an incredible, positive, inspiring book, talks about overcoming everyday stress and finding God's help. And uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. I think the more familiar translation of that is, Peace that passes understanding. Anybody here need a little more of that? A little more peace that passes understanding? What is peace that passes understanding? Well, you're in a situation and you're facing something that would normally be overwhelming, right? It would just be more than you can handle. And in the middle of that, despite how frustrating and fearful it might be, you sense God's there. And, and you just can't quite explain it. It's not natural. It's supernatural. The peace that passes understanding. That's the promise of God. That we can experience that. But like all of God's promises, there's always a premise. And for the, for the promises, there's a condition. There's something I do, we do, 
in order to receive the full blessing of God, to receive the promise that he offers us. So how do you get peace that passes understanding? Well, it's right here in this passage. We do four things. And in, uh, in country talk, I'd say stop your fretting. Anybody need some of that? Stop your fretting. Now, some people have the gift of worry, and you know who you are. <laughs> you know, if there, if there was a, a war given for first-class worrying, you'd win, right? It just sort of comes naturally. Well, did you know that Philippians 4, 6 says, never worry about anything? Is there any wiggle room in that? Is there any except, you know, don't worry about everything except, no. You know, this is, this is a challenge from the Word of God to each of us. We can come to the place in our walk with God where we make a choice. We make a choice not to allow worry to dominate us, but instead to learn to trust more. Jesus talked a lot about overcoming worry. The most famous uh, sermon in all the world is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus wasn't teaching from horseback. Okay, not that mount, okay? It was a hill, right? And he's up there and the people come to him. And what does he say? Uh, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. The words of Jesus. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? You know, Jesus is saying we get preoccupied with stuff that doesn't matter all that much until it becomes to dominate us. And, uh, you know, we become kind of a slave to the everyday worries of life instead of learning to trust more. Worry doesn't accomplish anything doesn't do any good, except it robs today of its joy. He goes on, Jesus does in the next verse, to point creation out to the people around him. Look at the birds of the air. Uh, look at the flowers of the field. Don't you wish you'd been there? This was not a theoretical comment by Jesus. He was outside. So when Jesus said, look at the birds of the air, what did the people do? I mean, they looked up and there were the birds of the air, right? And he says, they, they, they don't toil, they don't work, and yet God feeds them. <laughs> I think birds are about the, like the least worried creatures in all of creation, right? I mean, they just flit and tweet. Well, some of you tweet. I know you do. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, what do, what do birds do to deserve the good that they get, right? I mean, they're, they're just seem to be so carefree, Jesus is pointing them out, saying God takes care of them, and then look at the flowers of the field, and you know, can, have you seen some wildflowers? Not for a while, have you? <laughs> but we're going to see some soon, aren't we? Anybody looking forward to the flowers of the field? They are beautiful, they are gorgeous, and yet Solomon in all his glory, the greatest kings of all the world, were not dressed like they are. And if God takes care of birds, and God takes care of flowers, how much more will your heavenly Father take care of you. I had somebody come up to me a few days ago and say, you know, Glenn, I've heard you talk about the fact that your father died when you were young and the, the journey that you've gone on, and I have gone on a journey 
to deal with um, father hunger. You know, a lot of people, maybe your dad didn't die, but maybe he was just gone. Or maybe you had a distant relationship, and that creates a, a sense of loss. And none of us have had perfect fathers. Some of us have had pretty good ones. But God is the perfect father, right? Right? God is the perfect father. And so the things that we feel like we've maybe lost or gone without, the things we, we, we feel a yearning for, he can fulfill in us. And so I was thinking about the fact that Jesus makes a point that says, don't worry, you have a father. And he's good. And he is gracious and he is giving. Yesterday, uh, Nancy and I got to spend a couple of hours in the afternoon with our children and grandchildren. And we went to beautiful downtown Lansing. How cool is that, right? Uh, well, it wasn't Lansing. <laughs> I mean, Lansing is cool, but it was being with our family. That was very cool. And we went to lunch. And uh, so the, the grandkids get in line and the kids get in line. And, and what did I do? I came last so I could pay, right? And uh, so, my, you know, my kids are like, Dad, you don't have to do that. You know, we can cover that. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. I want to do that, right? I want to do that. As long as I can, <laughs> As long as I'm blessed to do that, I didn't feel like they were taking advantage of me. That was something that was in my heart to do. You have a father in heaven who knows exactly what you need and his heart is for you. If he gave us Jesus Christ, his only son, how much more will he give us everything we need? And so Jesus teaches us and Paul reminds us that it begins to, to lower the stress of our lives by trusting in God and refusing to worry. We make the choice. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, Matthew 6.30, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you little faiths? You of little faith. I remember in, in seminary studying this passage and being taught that in the Greek language, the word for you of little faith is one word. And it's, it's one Greek word. It, it means um, the, the oglio, the first part, means just a very small number. And pistos means faith. So it's like, it's like Jesus gives them a nickname, right? And he says, if you don't trust God, here's your nickname, Ogliopistos, you are little faiths. That's like who you are. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that nickname. <laughs> who wants that, right? I don't want to be called a little faith. I want to be called a big faith. I want to be a person who lives up to the potential of God's power in my life by refusing to worry. The second thing Jesus says and Paul emphasizes is what, instead of worrying, pray. Uh, the message translation, instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. You know, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody and they'll say, Glenn, I'm not, I don't know how to pray. not very good at praying. Uh, can you complain? Do you know, do you know how to you know, say, say what's wrong? Well, just tell God. 
Instead of telling each other, telling yourself, tell him. Prayer is simply talking to God. And the more honest and open we are, the more powerful and profound our prayers are. Again, Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 31. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, ouch, his listeners would have gotten zinged by that. For the pagans do these things. Unbelievers do these things. When you don't pray and when you worry, you are a practical atheist. You are acting like there is no God and he doesn't care. For your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As well, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. God cares so much for us. He says instead of uh, you know, relying on yourself, instead of acting like God doesn't care, learn to pray more. Learn to to express your heart more honestly, more sincerely to the Lord. Years ago, someone taught me that when I pray and I'm worried and concerned, I should put my hands out in front of me like this. Would you do this with me right now? Just kind of, you know, the Lord, here's my life. Here's my stuff. Here's my stress. And the Bible says that I can cast it all on you. So now turn your hands down. And I give it to you and you let it drop. Did you know that the, the word for cast all your care is drop all you care. Put it down. Let it go. All right? Can you do that? <laughs> can you do that? All right, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And you do it. You do it in your own heart. Lord God, here is my life. Here are my concerns. Here's what I'm tempted to worry about. And right now, I turn hands down. I drop it. I let it go. I cast it on you. Help me to believe, Lord, that you actually receive these, that now they're on you and not on me. And help me to live like I truly, truly trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stop your fretting. Start your praying. Next, keep on thanking. Keep on thanking. Philippians 4, verse 6. Another translation says, Ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks. You know, one of the, one of the best antidotes for feeling stressed out and worried is to be thankful for what I already have. Because I already have a lot, don't you? Don't you? Just look around. An attitude of gratitude is something that we consciously cultivate and makes a cr- an incredible difference in our day-to-day life. The more I learn to be thankful for what God has already given me, the more I can learn to trust Him for the next step and for my future. You know, Romans chapter 1 is one of the most profound, the beginning of uh, maybe the deepest, most theologically complex book in all the Bible. And Paul writes to his friends at Rome and he takes 16 chapters and he lays it out and he says, here's the Christian faith from beginning to end. I'm going to build a case for what it means to love and follow Jesus Christ. And I'm going to start the first three chapters by convincing us how lost and broken we are. What's wrong with us? Okay, 
And in Romans chapter 1, a passage I go to over and over and over when I look around at the world I live in. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so people are without excuse. Okay. Paul says, look around. Look at the universe. Look at its size. Okay, either this thing is incredibly overbuilt. (laughs) It goes on and on and on and on and we're this speck, okay? So, secular science says, how can you believe in God? We're like a dust speck in in the expanses of the universe. We don't even matter. Christianity says, God created people as the crown of his creation and he surrounded us with galaxies beyond imagination, stars beyond number, to illustrate who he is. I mean, the size and scope of the universe either is meaningless or it's deliberately designed to blow our minds. It's deliberately designed to make us go, wow, only God could do that. And friends, that's my choice. The universe is designed as it is to to just help me to see how amazing God is. And, And so Paul says, look around. Look at the order in space. Look within. Look at the human heart. Look at the longing for love. Look at um look at the universal sense of right and wrong. You know, C.S. Lewis in his powerful book, Mere Christianity. He said, okay, so, so there is no God and life is meaningless. Then what's wrong with rape? You know, what's wrong with, with, uh, with murder? I mean, of course they're wrong. We know they're wrong. I mean, the, just to hear me say that is almost like offensive, right? Of course they're wrong. We know they're wrong. Now, the rules vary from culture to culture. Some of the details are different, but the fact that there is a right and there is a wrong and we know it, that is evidence of a moral law that comes from a holy God. And so Paul is saying, look around, you know there's a God. Look up, look within, look around. God is everywhere, but they have understood who God is from what has been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Whoa! Absolutely, right on. I know there's a God. Everybody who's alive, if they think about it, rationally knows there's a God but we've all sinned and we've all got this dark place and we'd rather not think about it and we'd rather not admit it. And least of all, he says, we don't really want to be all that thankful because then we'd know how much we depend on God. So thanklessness, taking everything for granted, being blessed beyond measure but not thanking God is the doorway to destruction. It's the, it's the first step into the darkness. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to take that step. I live in a world full of blessing, 
My life is overflowing with good things, and yet so many times I take them for granted. I, I don't stop to say thank you. I mean, what do you have to thank God for? Just start a list, okay? Just start a list. Um, somebody, when I was a new believer, taught me to pray using the acrostic ACTS. Anybody ever heard of that? Uh, the acts of prayer, ACTS. The T stands for, anybody? Thanks, thankfulness, thanksgiving. So when I pray in my daily prayers, one of the things I, I discipline my heart and mind to do is like, thank God, thank you, God, for a, you know, a, a place to call my own, for, for food every meal. You probably noticed I get food every meal. Anybody notice that? <laughs> you do too, by the way. All right? Amen. (laughs) Aren't we blessed beyond measure? Don't we have so much to be thankful for? And so make a list. Do it. You know, make it an act of discipline. Make it an act of Christian faith. I thank you. I choose to thank you because I don't want to take you for granted, God. And that attitude changes us. It changes me. It can change you. So when life gets overwhelming and hard and stressful, Stop worrying, start praying, do more thanking. <laughs> and then finally, the scripture says to, uh, to fix your thoughts on him. Mind your thinking, mind your thinking. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The battle for our emotions begins in the mind. Uh, some of us... Uh, don't watch what we watch. <laughs> We're not careful about what we read and listen to and allow into our minds every day, and those things can tear us and drag us away from spiritual things, from the things of God. I mean, think about it. Here's, a, here's an eightfold test for everything you read and watch and allow into your heart and mind this week. Is it true? Is it good? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it beautiful or admirable or excellent or praiseworthy? If it's not, then it can discourage you and confuse you. It can drag you away from God. You know, some people are like, well, I'm just trying to be more open-minded. <laughs> you, know, you get so open-minded, your brains fall out. <laughs> you know, you just like, you just become careless about what you allow in. Anybody ever heard... Uh, uh, the, the computer expression GIGO, G-I-G-O. What does it stand for? Garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> I think it's right out of this text, don't you? Uh, think about those things that are good and excellent and praiseworthy. Well, let me ask you, what meets that test? What could you think about that is true, good, right, pure, beautiful, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy? God, Jesus, His Word. You know, spend a few extra moments feeding your heart and your mind on something uplifting and encouraging. If Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 is a famous scripture. You will keep Him in perfect peace who trusts in you on all, for all whose thoughts are fixed on you. When I read that this week, I thought about an old Andre Crouch song. Um, he will keep him in perfect peace 
If you keep your mind, if you keep your heart stayed on me, if you keep your mind, if you keep your heart stayed on me, and all the last several days I've been thinking about that over and over and over again. How do you do that? How do you do that? You say, Lord, when I am tempted to worry, help me to trust. When I, when I am tempted to be um, discouraged, help me to be more thankful. Help me to look around and appreciate what I have. The other day, Nancy came out in the morning and she was like, Glenn, I, I, I have read a devotional this morning and I think, you know, it could inspire you. And so I read it and it was all about being more thankful. It quoted uh, Mark Buchanan. I've recommended his books a lot. His book, Holy Wild, he tells the story of going on a mission trip to Uganda. And uh, that particular day, he was feeling a little sorry for himself. He said he was a little miserable and he wanted to... Uh, hold on to it. <laughs> he wanted to just kind of wait around in it. Anybody know that feeling? You know, just kind of, uh, he, he was missing his food and he was missing his bed and he was missing his home and, and it was getting a little bit old. He'd been there a while and he said that day he went to the chapel service and the pastor asked the congregation if anybody had anything they were thankful for. He said there was a tall willowy lady near the back who came dancing up to the front full of joy and said she had something to be thankful for today. And the pastor said, what are you thankful for? And she said, well, three months ago, I prayed that God would give me shoes. And she lifted up her foot and said, and look, I've got shoes. And the Ugandans went crazy. <laughs> they were cheering and clapping. And Mark Buchanan said, I was devastated. He said, God just put me in my place and took me to a repentant heart because he said, I knew in that moment I had never prayed for shoes. Well, I've always had shoes. I never even thought about praying for shoes. And here this lady was so thankful, so uh, delighted at the goodness and grace of God. And he said, it just put me in my place and I had to remind myself, I have so much to thank God for. In a few weeks, there's like 16 or more of us going to Haiti. And I know what we're going to experience. We are going to have day after day where we're going to say, thank God for all that we have back home. But we're not all going to Haiti. <laughs> are we? Not this time anyway. So what do you do? What do you do if you're not going along on the trip? Well, you say, God, I pray that today you'd help me to be thankful for what I have. Help me to be thankful for a place to call my own. Help me to be thankful for transportation to get from point A to point B. Help me to be thankful for parents who love me or kids that, that I get to love in your name. Anybody have any of those things to be thankful for today? And a whole lot longer list. Uh, Corey Ten Boom. Anybody know that name? She's gone to be with the Lord now. She, she's Dutch. Uh, Holland, Second World War, the Nazis invaded. Uh, they came looking for the Jews. Uh, Corey Ten Boom's parents had neighbors who were Jewish and they invited them in and hid them. There's a book about her life and the movie was made, The Hiding Place. And Corey Ten Boom talked about the fact that during that whole season of her life, God taught she and her family such incredible lessons of faith. Uh, their family was actually taken 
by the Nazis because they hid the Jews. They were all taken to concentration camps and Corrie was the only one from her family to survive. And you would think she had so many reasons to be you know, discouraged and, and down, so many things to worry about. But instead she said this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look to God, you'll be at rest. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its joy. When I look at her life, and I listen to the Word of God, I say, Lord, I can do better. I can change. I can stop worrying. I can pray more. I can be more thankful. I can guard my heart and mind, not by just trying harder. Christianity is not self-help. It is not saying, you know, I'm going to leave today, and I'm going to do what pastor said, and I'm just going to tough it up. That is not Christianity. Christianity is not trying harder. It is trusting more. It is not saying by myself I'm going to sort of pull myself up by my bootstraps and be a better Christian. No, it is saying, God, I need your help. I need you. Forgive me. Change me. You, by your spirit in my life, teach me not to worry. Teach me to pray. Teach me to be thankful. Help me to guard my mind as you live in me. Would you like to pray that? Let's pray it together. Lord, as we close this part of the service, we thank you for everything we have in life that comes from your hand, that we don't deserve, that you shower on us. And Lord, we pray today that as we think about these things, that you would help us to reach out to you, not to do it by ourselves or in and of ourselves. I pray for anybody here that... that knows right now, even as we're praying together, that we need your help. Come into our lives, Lord. Come come into my heart. Live in me. Forgive me. Change me. Make me like you. And God, I know that you hear and answer those prayers. And for all of us who want to follow you, live for you. It's in that everyday moment of choice that we need the help of your Holy Spirit. Help us to lay our worries down and to pour our hearts out to you. Help us to be truly, deeply thankful for everything good. And help us to guard our thoughts, the things we watch and read and allow into our minds. Lord, May they be truly good and pure and holy and excellent because they're stayed on you. Thank you, Lord, that you will help us. Thank you for hearing our prayers and answering them just now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. We're going to sing to close, but just before we do that, uh, Finvara's Wren, our guest next Sunday. It's a dad and a mom and their daughter and their son. The kids are grown now. When I first met them, they were still teenagers. 
Uh, do you remember some of the instruments they play? You know, the, the fiddle, the, the bow drum, that big Celtic uh, stretched skin drum. The guy, the, the son, he plays the, the concertina. It's like a little tiny squeeze box. And they've all uh, won awards around the country and actually internationally. I was just reading some of their reviews this week. Uh, Detroit News said they are the best Irish folk band in the Midwestern United States. And we get to have them here. And they get to play and sing with you. How cool is that? So you know a neighbor, a friend, a family member. You know somebody that would love to be part of that. Reach out this week and invite them. Let's stand and let's sing.